I think the second riots were in 86. Claire Grenet, journalist for 4 Z Radio. I was lucky enough to be living in Highgate Hill and my house actually overlooked the jail. So I'd clocked off work, was sitting there in the afternoon. It's like, oh my God, the jail's on fire. And so I hoofed it down there. We were the only media there for hours and hours and hours. If you look at the way prison officers reacted on Friday night, it's easy to see why the prisoners resorted to rioting. Tear gas was used three times in Division 2, which is where the riot began. Authorities ordered the fire brigade to hose the prisoners off the roof of Division 2, but the prisoners managed to stay there. The prisoners also told us that the screws had rounded everybody up in the yard and were bashing them. We're ready to come down, but we want to talk. We don't want to get belted, we don't want to get gassed, we want to talk. And we're just yelling back. Like, why, why are you burning the jail down? And they're just like, because this sucks. We've got no toilet, we've got no blankets. That's Claire yelling over the jail wall to the prisoners while the riot was going on inside. How many crims? They were in terrible, you know, cells that you would see historically recreated in Port Arthur, you know, they were tiny. At this riot they were complaining they weren't getting blankets, their toilet was a tin can. From A to Triple Z, an original 4 Z podcast series diving into the station's archives to explore the patchwork past, cultural significance and incredible stories of Brisbane Community Radio 4ZZZ. I'm Scott Mercer, and in this episode we'll take you into the newsroom of 4ZZZ in the 1980s, as told by the journalists who shone a light into the dark corners of the Bjelke-Peterson government. In the 1980s, 4ZZZ journalists like Claire Grenet were at the forefront of news and current affairs. Corrective Services Minister Jeff Muntz was in no mood to comment on the riots at Boggo Road. Mr Muntz, why wasn't Triple Z allowed in the jail? I wouldn't have a clue, but I'm not interested in why you went. Or if, uh, you've got a lot to answer for, as far as I'm concerned. Poor Triple Z have got a terrible lot to answer for, for the disturbances of the cause in the, in the Brisbane prison. So because we and take I a critical attitude, because we take a critical attitude. Critical, I'm not interested. I'm not the least bit interested in Poor Triple Z. I couldn't care less whether he existed or not. So go home. Jeff Munts himself later served 12 months in jail for the misappropriation of ministerial expense funds. The government he served in was led by Premier Joe Bjelke-Peterson. Suffice to say that it will... Uh... A staunch conservative, Joe was a controversial leader who maintained power by redistributing electoral regions to favour rural areas where his national party was most popular, a practice known as gerrymandering. His time in office was marked by an aggressive development agenda and the curtailing of civil liberties. The political situation was scary. You know, as soon as you started scratching the surface, there was just corruption everywhere. Queensland was kind of seen as a bit of a laughing stock by other states, which I think is terribly unfair because it wasn't funny. Harassment and violence at the hands of Queensland police was common if you were a certain type of person. Dan Flannery remembers. 
There'd be people up. I mean, that happened earlier. Gay people that I used to work with, guys would come in in the morning sometimes and black eyes, and, oh, yeah, we just got beaten up by the cops. They'd never even be charged. They'd just be beaten up in the streets. You know, just going out at night and having a drink and you risk being pulled over by the cops, even if you're in foot, because you look different. Nicola Joseph also recalls being targeted. My background is Lebanese and I'm quite dark. People often mistake me for being Aboriginal. So it was also being at Arnie Maureen Watson's place and saying, okay, I'm leaving now, I'm going to walk home. And it was getting dark and she would be like, you can't walk on the streets because it's dangerous. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, I'm cool, it's seven o'clock. And she'd go, no, it's because the police will think you're a black person. Just being really vulnerable to the everyday policing, it is that kind of white supremacy and some kind of false reminiscence about when the country was great and how we have to hold on to that. As migrants from Europe, Stefan Armbruster's family had perspective on leaders like Joe. Yeah, being German, you're highly tuned to any sort of fascist tendencies that emerge because of the horrific history of the country. And yeah, we got here and my, my, my parents were like, what the fuck is going on? With the right to street marches effectively banned by Joe in 1977, Fortable Z was one of few avenues left to challenge the government. Workers at the station found themselves targeted by the so-called special branch of the police force. Amanda Collins and Stefan Armbruster recall the intimidation and surveillance tactics. It was a Joe press conference. And there were members of Special Branch there. And this guy kind of came up to me and he just said, oh, you know, how are you finding life at 14? Such and such a street, Red Hill. And what's life like existing on the $106 that Triple Z pay you? And how is your little Datsun 180B? It was just really quite chilling. When I started going out to protests, they would go around and they'd, they'd photograph you. They used to sit on top of the Chanel, the old Chanel theatre, because they could look straight down to the car park from there and used to photograph people walking in and out of the studio. There was no pretense about it. They'd just sit up there and, and, and photograph people walking through. For someone running a government that would eventually be proven to be mired in corruption, violence and prejudice, it might be expected that Joe Bjelke-Peterson was a cold and distant ruler. In fact, the opposite was true. In 1980, only days before a state election, the all-powerful Premier of Queensland came to visit Fortable Z's humble studios for a sit-down interview, where he spoke to journalist Phil Cullen. What about um, the prospects of a redistribution in Queensland? I think that that probably will come about in the next three years. It's, it's one that comes up automatically. I'm, I'm not against it. I'm not, well, I, I don't know why they're all the jumping up and down by some people. Now, Phil Cullen recalls the interview today. Apologies for the audio quality. When we spoke, he was in Qatar. It seemed a unique opportunity to be able to get Joe to come in and to have him come in willingly. I could have leapt over the console and placed a pyro through his heart, and I think some people thought that that's probably what I should have done. But in the end, what we did was you didn't necessarily have to hit him with the hard questions. In fact, that probably wouldn't always produce the right answer. But if you gave him enough rope, he would certainly um, fulfil your ambitions of trying to find out where it is that he came from and what he represented. People who haven't got leadership or parties that haven't got leadership uh, they never think of blaming themselves, their leadership or policy or mm, platform or anything else. They always blame a gerrymander. 
It was also common practice for journalists to call Joe on the phone early in the morning. Nicola Joseph explains the process. I think I probably rang Joe every day. You had to know, if Parliament was on, he was staying at the unit in Brisbane and you had that number. And then sometimes you'd have to ring him up at Kingaroy. Really what you were doing was recording the madness. Usually what I'd done was interviewed whoever the expert was on the topic and you'd use Joe to show the ridiculousness of not just him but the kind of government he was running. Amanda Collins remembers another use for the Joe interviews. Nearly every morning I would ring Joe as part of my work. <laughs> and basically we would use these three-minute phone conversations between Joe and myself as sort of comedy tracks that the announcers would slip between the music tracks. And it would just always be the same thing. Usually Flo would answer, so we'd go, ring, 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 ring. we go, yes, hello. And I'd say, oh, hello, this is Peterson. It's Amanda Collins from 4ZZZ. Amanda Collins from Z. And she'd sort of put the phone away from her ear and you could hear her going, Joe, it's that girl again from 4ZZZ. And then you'd hear that sort of shuffling of of Joe's feet coming over to the phone. Uh, hello. And I'd, you know, ask him about the latest scandal or the latest riot at Bobbo Road Jail or, you know, the latest outrage from his government. Are you seriously considering a High Court challenge to the ALP National well, Conference I, decision? I, I, I... And he'd just start waffling, oh, don't you, you know, don't you worry about that, we've got that under control and that's none of your concern and I told you not to ring me again. And, and under what law will you mount a High Court challenge? Oh, well, that, that's, uh, that's under the part of the constitution that's, and that's out. there's no need to go into this section and so on. You know, we to and fro a little bit like that, him saying absolutely nothing and rebuffing what I was saying. Have you been receiving legal advice on, on the matter? Oh, well, don't worry about that, just uh, don't be stupid, what else do you think I'm doing? Isn't the Ben Lomond mine mined by a French-owned company? I mean, it's not even mined by an Australian company, is it? Oh, well, look, don't let's worry about all that. Have you got anything else of interest? Is it owned by a French company or an Australian company? Well, you ought to find that out. You uh, are so clever. And then he'd hang up and he'd just go click. And he would never say goodbye or anything like that. He'd just hang up and that would sort of be the end. I'm sorry. I can't waste my time on you. You're always such a negative person on the station. It's not worth wasting time. Thank you for ringing. Oh, I just... Take the tape, and Stephen Stockwell will go, great, and he just put that, slip it in between two tracks. <laughs> Claire Grenet also had the job of calling Joe. We played her a call that she had made 34 years ago. Oh my God. Note that at the time she went by Claire Grenet, as she found Queenslanders struggled with Grenet. Hello, Mr. Peterson. Yes. Yes, it's Claire Grenet from 4ZZZ here. Look, I don't think I can help you anything at all. Well, what is it you want? I was just wondering if you were worried that you had invited a former Nazi to Queensland. No, no, I'm much more worried about the communists that the Canberra people bring out here. Uh, they are not only um, being communists, they, ha they are communists. So would you agree with the philosophy of Nazism? Uh, I'm much, as I said to you, much more concerned about the uh, communists. Um, that's a reality. The other past history many years ago, this is a, um, well, just uh, a very respectable man. Oh, look, run government. away, look, run away and play trains. You know very well that that's quite wrong. And now if you want to start that sort of a nonsense, I haven't got my time to waste. And it's a beautiful day and you enjoy it today. And look on the positive side and then you'll have a happy day. Thank you for ringing. Thank you. 
I said, and he never actually said anything, did he? You know, like that's the kind of bumbling. All right, this is the person running Queensland. God, that's just blown me away. As I said, I haven't heard any of this stuff since, you know, it was kind of done. The Premier could be strikingly inarticulate at times. While it made him an object of ridicule in some quarters, his manner of speaking could be used as a weapon to avoid hard questions. In 1981, it was revealed that the government was planning on using $30,000 of taxpayers' money to pay Joe's court costs in a defamation case he lost against conservationist John Sinclair. The press conference became chaotic. Fortrable Zed was there. And I'm telling you that I've appealed. But we just want to, going to, to verify appeal. whether those reports are true. Well, you, you get so many reports that you want verified, I wouldn't attempt to catch up with you people because you make them up faster than anybody can answer them. So you're basically not going to tell us no, whether there was a cabinet decision? I like to keep you jumping around guessing because if I tell you, you've got nothing more to run around with. Absolutely. Well, look, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of aspects and angles to this thing about uh, whether it was defamatory and what I did say and what was reported and all the rest of it. So there's a whole lot of angles to that. So Don't I'm the specific yeah, case yeah, down yeah. to the moral issue, ignoring cabinet decisions. A moral ignoring, issue? Do you, do you <laughs> see it as a moral question that perhaps you why as an individual question? should pay why? the legal costs if you defame somebody? Uh, why is it a moral cost? You tell me that. Why won't you answer any of these questions? Yeah. Why, why do you feel That's the need to avoid so many questions? Sir? It's not a matter of avoiding them. If I wanted to get it out of well, my head, I'd tell you. I'd tell you. Why do you call these press conferences if you don't want to answer I don't want to questions. see you. You can go as far as I'm concerned. You don't need to come here at all. Why are you leaving, sir? Why won't you ask for the Well, I've, I've given you a fair go, and I've told you the answer. What is the answer? You haven't answered any questions, sir. You, you, you grow up, that's all I can say. If you can't work it out, please grow up a little bit. We apologise for the quality of the last section of that. At that stage of the game, the press gallery complete with camera crews were literally chasing the Premier around the room. But was Joe's apparent fumbling of language real or part of a strategy to deflect attention from the corruption occurring at all levels in Queensland? I think we'd have to say that there was an element of deliberation about everything that Joe did. And I guess the kind of underlying question there, was he smarter than he sounded like? And yeah, he was. He operated really shrewdly. I think that it was a performance that he had mastered. Joe presented this bumbling personality, but he wasn't dumb. You don't stay in power almost 30 years being a dumbass. Joe had his own term to describe how he dealt with the media. It was truly feeding the chooks. Feed the chooks. Not going to feed you, you chook. Feeding the chooks. Feed the chooks. the chooks. That was a media strategy to sort of feed the chooks. He never made himself unavailable. There was never no comment. The phrase clearly left an impact. The metaphor cast Joe as an all-powerful figure, as the farmer is to the hen. He sowed rambling seeds of chaos for the press to pick over, while shady land deals and police payoffs continued in the background. While Joe's strategy kept most of Queensland's media placated, there is a question as to why he even bothered with Triple Z. The station was known as an underdog operation staffed by left-leaning students and would-be revolutionaries, yet he always answered the phone to Zed Journos throughout his time in office. Why? I think he had a really old-fashioned but quite clever approach to, you know, you did speak to the media, you didn't ignore them, and you didn't ever be accused of ignoring them. It was, of course, a different time, before the advent of the 24-hour news cycle. At that time, too, in politics and journalism, all politicians did that. It was part of the job. Like, the fact that we were able to have both of his home numbers wouldn't happen today. 
right? I mean, the jobs of press secretaries and so forth it, it, and minders, it just would not happen. Alexis Pink is the news coordinator of Fortune Z Today. She explains the likelihood of being able to contact the Premier of Queensland directly. It's hard to get the Premier on the phone these days. But if you wanted to go through that process, um, she has a press officer who works out of her office, who I would call. The Premier does have a private phone and you could call her, but it's very ill-advised, especially if you want to continue to be a political journalist. Um, Bothering the Premier for every little thing isn't going to get you very far. Claire Grenet suggests a technological explanation. Maybe because we didn't have caller ID back then. He could have changed his number, I suppose. One Zeta has a unique perspective on the why. Andrew Bartlett served as a senator for Queensland for over 10 years, and he understands the willingness to talk to a media outlet diametrically opposed to your own politics. He was sort of old school and he would just talk to anybody, which, you know, I am a little bit as well. You know, if I got rung up by Christian radio or family radio or whatever, I'd talk to them because, you know, he's still a chance to get your view across. You know, you just any chance to get your view across is a chance to get your view across no matter who you're talking to. You know, I've done Ray Hadley and stuff in the past and he can be a bother boy, etc. But you know, if you're in the wrong headspace, it's really unpleasant. But if you're in the right headspace where you had the sort of sense of self that he presumably did, you know, all that stuff washes over you and you can have a bit of fun poking back at them, really. Obviously, he wasn't the type to go, fuck you, down the telephone line, but it was a bit of that both sides in their own different polite way of going, fuck you, no, fuck you, fuck you, no, fuck you. But in, you know, journal media speak, it might have been easier if they both just said fuck you to start with and hung up, save everybody their time. How did Mr Hins reply to your question? Well, I, I, I just sort of say to you, I, I am not here to be interrogated by someone like you and your radio station. Okay, thank you for ringing. Well, that's and not what the, senior people in CQIB are saying. Oh, They're well, saying it's, it's on the brink of collapse. Yes, that's, of course, uh, fellows like you would believe that, of course. That's, of course, understandable as we take a look at you. And is your new attack on the Liberal Party, like, do you want to get rid of the Liberal and Labor no, parties? No, I'd rather get rid of stations like yours. The cat and mouse game between Joe and Fortable Z could not go on forever. In the late 1980s, circumstances began to deteriorate for both the Premier and the station. In 1986, Joe seemed on top of the world after winning his seventh consecutive election as leader of the Nationals. Egged on by members of the so-called White Shoe Brigade of business leaders who had benefited from his favour, Joe set his sights on Canberra, announcing that he would run for Prime Minister in the next federal election. But in 1987, allegations of corruption within the Queensland Police Force were brought to national attention by a series of reports by Phil Dickey and the Courier Mail and a groundbreaking Four Corners program titled The Moonlight State, produced by former Fortable Z journalist Sean Hoyt. Joe was not initially concerned, spending much of his time outside of Queensland gathering support for his Joe for PM campaign. He made his deputy Bill Gunn acting premier while he was away. It was a critical mistake. Joe was such an overlord in terms of how Queensland was run. So he ran it. It was his gig. So when he was away, I'm not sure they knew how to make decisions. And then Bill Gunn gets up and calls this inquiry. Under pressure over the Moonlight State report, Bill Gunn established an inquiry into official corruption headed by former federal court judge Tony Fitzgerald. They kept on going and going and going. 
more and more stuff kept tumbling out, but you know, Joe was with his you, you, you journalists, you just you just ask questions and go, you know, blah blah blah, mixed metaphors and all that crap they used to come out with. They thought they had it under control. They had no idea what was coming towards them. They'd been in power so long and were so complacent and cocky. The dominoes continued to tumble this morning at the Fitzgerald inquiry. The government thought their position was unassailable, but with the inquiry hearing evidence implicating senior figures within the police force, including Commissioner Terry Lewis, confidence in Joe's leadership collapsed. His campaign for PM also fell apart when Prime Minister Bob Hawke called an early election before he had nominated for a federal seat. Smelling blood, Joe's own cabinet revolted against him, electing Mike Ahern their new leader. Joe was forced out, and he resigned on the 1st of December 1987. Meanwhile, Fortable Z had been going through its own period of turmoil. Burnout was a problem, and many Z journalists lasted only two or three years before being drawn to another exciting radio station down south, including Amanda, Nicola and Claire. I was really loving it, but yeah, I did get offered a job at Triple J, and it was an offer too good to refuse. And at that time, Triple J was still a fantastic place to work because it was before programming came in, so... If you got a shift, you still got to choose your own music and the newsroom was really, really thriving. We lived hard and we worked really hard. You know, there wasn't much time for for Triple Zers back then to do anything but work. So we just made work our entertainment. A lot of the reason why I left was I did just really get sick of the harassment and living like that. I briefly went back to Sydney and did a stint at Triple J. The main reason I left was because I'd been there two years and I was burning out. You could tell things were about to change. (laughs) The financial security of Fortable Z was also precarious. Andrew Bartlett was at one point finance coordinator and his job was challenging. I mean, basically it was never sustainable, to be honest. I mean, we were paying 13 full-time staff, um, not very much, but we're still paying them. We didn't have sponsorship back then, which is (laughs) the other small problem. It was totally financed off subscriptions and gigs you know there was a period there and it was when i was finance coordinator unfortunately where we you know basically couldn't afford to pay anyone anymore and people basically went on the dole so it got pretty threadbare being a community radio station fortable z had no regular funding from higher corporate or government bodies another source of income that dried up was the student union of the university of queensland where the station was located the union had been instrumental in the establishment of Zed but times had changed. There was a whole shift in the student union movement and right-wing union councils were being elected. In 88, the student union had still been Labor, but right-wing Labor, and Dirk Moses was the president then. And he'd already cut funding to Triple Z. Yeah, people were gunning for us. The University of Queensland Union Council has cut funding before Triple Z FM in an attempt to close it down. This is your radio station. Show your support. Bring the University of Queensland Union on a 3711611 and demand an explanation. And then at the student election in 88, Brazil and her team got in, which was uh, the better alternative. The party was actually called the better alternative. So they got in and... They'd only been in office for a couple of weeks, I think, when they decided it was a brilliant idea to come down raiders. 
Things came to a head on the 14th of December 1988 when Z was evicted without warning from their studios in a pre-dawn raid by members of the union executive, private security guards and Victoria Brazel herself. An ongoing crisis resulted. Joe Bjelke-Peterson, himself recently evicted, was called for comment. Oh, oh hello? Oh, hello. It's Donna Baines from 4 Z here. Mm-hmm. I was just ringing to see um, what you thought about what's happened at 4 Z over the, this past week. Have you heard about it? No, I haven't. I've just, I just arrived back from Japan. The former Premier was filled in on the events of the raid. He was unsympathetic. Well, in- I suppose I thought you'd had a fair go and... Um, and um, they must have been in, in some position of control. They gave us absolutely no notice at all and just decided well, to come in at four o'clock good, in the morning. You've had a pretty good run for a long time, haven't you? The saga of Fortable Z's eviction from UQ is its own full story and one for another time. After a period of emergency broadcasting directly through the transmitter at Mount Kutha, a new studio was established at Tawong. While Joe had been ousted, the Conservative National Party was still in power. The next state election was held on the 2nd of December 1989. By coincidence, it was the day of the second Livid Festival, a celebration of alternative Brisbane music organised by Natalie Jeremijenko and Peter Walsh. Peter recalls being worried when the election date was called. We thought people may not come because, you know, I don't think I would have gone. I think I would have stayed home and watched the election. But people did come, including young musician Kristen Black of the band Fugitive Microbes. The vibe was amazing. Like, I remember the excitement about arriving in the afternoon, you know, the excitement that came through watching band after band that we loved, like the Bats and Tism. The organisers knew the crowd would want to keep an eye on the election results. So we, we, we advertised we were going to have a wall of TVs so everyone could... And it was about uh, an hour before we were meant to open. And I went, oh, fuck, I forgot the TVs. So I ran home and got a 12-inch black and white TV. And that was our wall of TVs. It was like hundreds of people watching this little TV, 12 inches. We were standing around this uh, black and white TV, just, just keeping an eye on the election results. And so, yeah, the atmosphere was just building and building as the results were coming in. Meanwhile, across town, Stefan Armbruster was on the Fortable Z news team on scene in the tally room. It was at the QE2 stadium. The tally room's this big room, this big basement, and all the TV networks, they all have basically stages set up. So it's not like now where when at the election they have separate functions. They'd all be at the tally room because the tally room was the nucleus. I think back then they were still putting up the numbers by hand on the boards. You know, it was exciting. It was You could see the, the progression of the count and you know, new numbers had come in. A lot of the pollies were there. Joe wasn't, but there was a lot of pollies there. All the Australian media that were there because this was the big election. You know, this was the end of the Joe B. Peterson era. Everyone knew that. There was really a real positive atmosphere going around where people were looking forward to the end of this period of... Um, Corrupt hell, really. Kristen also remembers a sense of optimism. The Nationals were, they were already, you know, cannibalising themselves, like Joe was gone, we'd already had Mike O'Hearn, and then Russell Cooper was our Premier at the time, and the winds had changed, like we were so excited and sensed change. In between live crosses back to the station, Stefan got up to some mischief as Fortable Z's famous mascot. We had the Triple Z banana suit, which I got to wear and I don't know how I got to wear it but 
I was running around the tally room trying to get on camera. Bill Gunn came into the tally room and I was jumping up and down behind him and people were filming him. He just looked like he'd been slapped in the face with a mullet or something like that. And these guys, probably cops, just said, okay, time for you to leave and marched me out and said, okay. And I was saying, look, I'm a journalist. <laughs> a journalist. Um, we lost the banana suit, but it didn't matter. We're on radio. It was, it was you know, it's radio. We're just doing theatre. It wasn't a great um, thing to wear the banana suit because it'd been worn by lots of people in lots of sweaty situations and it didn't get washed very much. So it didn't smell like a banana. Mmm. Back at Livid, the mood was changing. As the sun was setting, I think that that atmosphere of wondering what the outcome of the election was going to be started to sort of um, precipitate. It was pretty wild to see so many people just abandon the bands just for a sec and come and, you know, see what was happening in the election. As the results were coming in, the different parties were different colours. So I think the ALP were red and the Nationals were green, perhaps. And I just remember as the results were coming in and they looked at the seats, it was just like this wall of red. The swing was huge. You know, they were annihilated. It was a landslide. It was incredible. Labor won 54 seats that day, ending 32 years of National Party rule in Queensland. And I'll never forget the eruption the cheering that happened both around that TV set and then in the big top when Peter Walsh got up and made his announcement. Then it got to be about 6.30, uh, so that's when I jumped up on stage and um, announced that the Nationals had been kicked out. And the quote was, no more fascism. It was quite emphatic, and I think he used a couple of uh, expletives. The Curie Mail the next day in their review had a headline, no more fascism. My mother still hasn't got past, got over it yet, poor thing. It was a very celebratory moment. It was a pretty amazing feeling. Like, that was my first livid, and I was just loving the bands that were there. I was loving the friends I was with. It just so happened that all of these amazing circumstances were, were colliding all in this one space. In the wake of the Fitzgerald inquiry, three former ministers were jailed. Police Commissioner Terry Lewis was stripped of his knighthood. The special branch was disbanded, with the records they kept on Joe's enemies destroyed before they could be made public. Commissions were established to roll back the gerrymander and crack down on police corruption. In 1991, Joe Bielke-Peterson himself was tried for perjury over evidence he gave at the Fitzgerald inquiry. The jury could not come to a verdict, and it was later reported that the jury foreperson had been both a member of the Young Nationals and specifically the Friends of Joe movement. Despite the mistrial, the special prosecutor in charge declined a second trial, citing Joe's advanced age. Joe died in 2005 at the age of 94. Claire Grenet worked at Triple J and SBS and has now been a professional chef for 20 years. Triple Z, it's still very listenable, it's great, it's been great during COVID because I live alone and that's the power of radio. You can switch on a radio and not feel, well, I don't feel alone. Dan Flannery worked at Triple J, then reported on the Sandinista Junta in Nicaragua for SBS. In one way, Triple Z was a result of the oppression it grew out of. Afterwards, he worked as an explosives handler for the Australian Defence Force. 
Nicola Joseph went on to work at Triple J, Radio Skid Row, SBS Radio, and was the CEO of the Community Media Training Organisation. I count that two years and what I learned in that two years is like worth 10 years of working anywhere else. Stefan Armbruster has worked as a reporter and producer for the ABC, the BBC, and is currently a correspondent for SBS World News. I loved it, and I love it still, and you know, I'm still a subscriber. Amanda Collins worked at Triple J and was a reporter for Dateline and Insight on SBS. For the past 11 years, she has been series producer of Q&A on the ABC. I actually can't think of a better place to have cut my teeth as a journalist. It was brilliant. Phil Cullen has been manager of various ABC radio stations across the country and has lectured in journalism. It's always embraced a lot of people with character and determination. And you watch them go through there and uh, make a difference and continue to do so when they, they get out the other side. Kristen Black is now host of the Heyday program on 4ZZZ. I was always very fond of 4ZZZ. At that point I'd been going to market days and um, always had this dream of doing announcer training. Um, eventually got there at, you know, <laughs> decades later. Kristen has also produced another episode in this podcast series about the gigs that Firebrand English musician Billy Bragg played for 4ZZZ. Don't miss it. Alexis Pink, current 4ZZZ News Coordinator. Media has changed a lot in Brisbane, if not everywhere, in the last 30 years. It used to be a big country town. These days, it's a lot more cosmopolitan than it used to be. If Joe was still around the place, he would not recognise the Brisbane that's come of it. Um, we went to the Black Lives Matter protests earlier in the year. That was actually very instructive in um, how we can shape... Um, media narrative in this particular environment. We talked about the real stories that affected the people who attended it. It was an experience that I I won't forget anytime soon for just how powerful and big it was. And I hope Brisbane doesn't forget anytime soon. Those stories won't get told if there are no outlets that consider the smaller picture, the minutiae in a bigger frame. Those are the stories I love to hear about. This podcast was produced across the lands of the Turrbal, Jagera, Yagara and Yugambeh people, and we acknowledge that sovereignty over these lands was never ceded. This episode was produced by myself, Scott Mercer, a volunteer at Fortable Z. Executive producers are Grace Pashley and Max Rolly, with sound design and theme production by Lucinda McAfee. The songs you heard in this episode were from Ironing Music, Ups and Downs, Zero and The Parameters, all underground Brisbane bands of the 80s. Go look them up and support some independent artists. Thank you to the volunteers of 4ZZZ who digitised the archives heard in this episode and also to the National Film and Sound Archive. Most of all, thank you to everyone who's ever worked in the 4ZZZ newsroom for your work and your courage through the good times and the bad. And a special thanks to all those who contributed their memories to this episode, even though we could only fit in a fraction of your incredible stories. Make sure you subscribe to From A to Triple Z so you get updates every time we release an episode. There's much more to come. This podcast has been produced to tell some of our stories for 4ZZZ's 45th birthday. If you like what you hear and want to help support community radio stay on air another four decades, 
head to 4zzz.org.au or visit the links in the show notes to buy some limited edition merch, make a donation and subscribe.